bit chilly. But I'm going nice. to turn it off in a second. We've managed to avoid the heating being on at all today, even though it's fresh first thing this morning. So it makes me feel warm and happy. That is it's good. Yeah, yeah, Are you on a meter? Gas, yeah. What about you? Well, my well, my two meters are totally inaccessible for anybody. And we went through this before um, with uh, Bulb, my electricity company. And I said, look, will you stop pestering me? Because the last time you sent someone out, they couldn't actually fit it because it was so inaccessible. So just don't bother. So I don't, I don't actually have a meter. Interesting. They just do estimates all the time, do they? I, I do all the, I, I do all the manual input. Um, nice. So you use one one meter of gas every three years. Yes. <laughs> um, should we make a start? Shall we? Um, but good morning, good afternoon, good evening. I'm Anthony Price. And I'm Jonathan Bradley. And uh, it's a little chilly this morning, but I think it, the heat is rising. I've only got one bar on my little heater in the shed. And um, in fact, I'm going to turn that off now because otherwise I'm going to get a little bit odd. Nice. Well, I have to say it, it is exciting news to suggest, uh, dear listeners, whether you're international or in the UK, we're about to enter the spring period in the UK, which actually has been it feels, it feels like a really dong long duck dong long, long dark, lark. <laughs> dark long dark winter <laughs> um and it's quite nice to feel the sun in your face when you're walking the dog and going and sitting outside and having a cup of coffee for 15 minutes and feeling the warmth of the sunshine and then it goes behind a cloud and you freeze within about three seconds so it's, that is uh, that is exactly my experience yesterday i was sitting in the garden i came out with a cup of coffee and started reading my book which is seven and a half lessons about the brain mm-hmm. um, by lisa felton barrett which is a lovely lovely book by the way it's turns the brain on its head was that yeah i don't know whether that works or not um but the idea of a left brain and a right brain blows it out of the water not true and she's a pretty eminent neuroscientist. She knows what she's talking about. Wow. The brain, the brain is a great big forest, a network of neurons. Um, and we can develop our brains or we can choose not to. And if we don't, we lose our neurons, those lovely little things that grow in our brains. Blimey. This is deep stuff to kick off our podcast. Yeah, then, it, then the cloud arrived and it got really cold, so stop reading it <laughs> <laughs> and stop learning. Um, anyway, for those of you that are regular listeners to this podcast and for those of you that are in a live audience, we love to talk all things leadership. Um, we do listener questions. We do themes. Um, there are clearly themes that are in the public domain which bleed into people leadership and, of course, Um, Over the last two years, podcasts have been dedicated a lot of the time around inspirational thinking around the COVID pandemic around the world. And of course, as COVID kind of pales into a less significant news headline, in fact, I looked on BBC News this morning and I think it's story nine before the first reference to COVID appears, which is quite refreshing in some respects, but unfortunately it's replaced by an absolutely awful set of stories around Ukraine. Um, it's, It's inspired a lot of thinking for us around people leadership, but of course, if there are things we should be talking about around people leadership, please do submit the questions to us, GLP at Seedle.com. That stands for Global Leadership Podcast or Global Leadership Podcast, oh, one word, at gmail.com. And we will review your questions and add them into the melting pot. Um, now, I have a, a couple of themes as ever to think about today, Mr. Bradley. Uh, what about yourself? Well, I've got a little one. I was in the uh, pub uh, last night, the Churchills in Ramsgate, uh, yeah. which is a great oh, well. pub. And uh, it is 
always a great place to go on a Sunday afternoon because they have live bands. And uh, my mate Murray uh, is the lead singer of this band, uh, which is a new band. And uh, it's got trumpets. It's got uh, two guitarists. It's got drums. It's got a whole nine yards. And we rocked Ramsgate yesterday afternoon. And my back is a little bit sore today because I was doing some... Uh, crazy gyrating. Um, my wife did stop me doing the cartwheel, thank God, at the right at the right moment. But anyway, um, to cut a long story short, I was chatting to this chap, and uh, he 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 was also dancing vigorously and was a little bit tiddled. Um, but he's quite, you know, he's quite a successful bloke in his own right as a businessman. And um, so he said, uh, in the middle of all of this, what are the three most important roles? For a leader, and um, I, I wisely said, "Look, I tell you what, I, I'm not going to answer it now because I probably had a few too many, and it probably wouldn't come out right." But I said, "I do think it's a little bit triangular, and you know, it does involve playing the role of a of a leader, a manager, and a coach to be a great leader." And he looked co- completely confused. And I said, well, I'll tell you what I'll do. I'll take away the question and um, put it on the podcast and you can listen to the answer when you when you tune in. So that's kind of where I have got to on my topic for today. Nice. Do you want to start with it or do you want me to start with mine or, or, or what? Well, I, should we just tease that? Hold that there. Hmm. Tease it out. And just just in case we've got a listener who might want to hang on uh, for about an hour uh, and then we go back to it. Interesting. All right. Well, we'll start with one of mine then. And this is inspired by actually a message I sent you yesterday. Um, and the, the topic for discussion is, um, can a leader's reputation be damaged after they've left the position if their behavior changes? Um, Now, um, a bit of context for you listeners. Um, I'm sure we've worked in organizations and we've had utmost respect for a leader in that business. And then we meet them perhaps six months after they've left or you've left or the company's disbanded, whatever the reasoning might be. And in some cases, the behavior of that leader changes. Now, sometimes it's bizarre, isn't it? Because sometimes we look to those people as still being our leaders. There's almost this superiority. Well, actually, we're just friends now because we don't work together there anymore. Um... But of course, if I want to work for that leader in a professional capacity again in the future, presuming that they are significantly above me, do leaders need to be more conscious about what they say and how they say it in fear of damaging their reputation? And I think they do. So the context to this is, is that there was a reunion of an organization that JB and I both previously at different times were involved with over the weekend, um, somewhere in the UK. And um, an ex-employee now works for a replacement business in the same industry. And the old managing director of the legacy organization, which has now been disbanded because it was acquired by another firm and broken up, basically, um, was by all accounts quite bitter. I got some extra context, by the way, from the message. I set forward you on one of them. Quite bitter and negative about any replacement saying it could never be matched and what's the point and just basically avoided talking to anyone that was involved in the replacement by deliberate design and i actually thought that was quite offensive and unprofessional to be honest because actually um if you recognize a business is solving a problem and your business can no longer solve it because it's been disbanded 
why should you try and ridicule or humiliate a, a, an alternative supplier? You know, especially if your business has been disbanded because ultimately the company that bought you thought it was no longer viable as a business. And if you're still solving the problem with the replacement business, should you not celebrate anything that attempts to continue to solve that problem? And I think actually what that has done for me is it's kind of, and I know that this connection, I don't know particularly well, but I know you know that person much better than I do. And I, it, it kind of bothered me actually, because I know that the person that's founded this new business has got no malicious intentions at all. He's just trying to do the right thing to solve a problem for the for the problem that needs solving in their in their business and realize there was a gap in the gap that was left behind by this predecessor business. But it's not very helpful if um, uh, the former leader is out there, by all accounts, bad mouthing this replacement business to try and sabotage its success. And I just think actually it does the leader more harm than it does good because if I was ever offered to collaborate with this person now, and instead I did some research on this person, not knowing them from before this exchange, I won't do, but and they actually do training consulting by all accounts as well now. So I won't, I won't support them or, or and if they come to me, I'll, I will probably mention it to them. Actually, I heard you were bad mouthing an alternative business in the area that has replaced your one. What does that say about you? And unfortunately, what bothers me more is this company in question that was a reunion for was famed for its brilliant culture for its good leadership and for a leader within this wider organization, it's a group of companies essentially like many of these businesses work. I thought it was disappointing that, um, that people's behavior changed. And, and again, I then looked at other leaders that I've worked with previously in a business and they had this mask on of the business is brilliant. I love it. We're going to stand by it. And the minute they leave, they shit in it and you think, well, therefore, did you have less integrity than I thought you did when you were in place? And you and I, JB, know that I'm talking about someone that I've worked for a few times who I love to bits. I would work for them again. But sometimes I question their moral compass and their behaviors towards things. Um, and, and they've never done anything, you know, no one's done anything malicious towards them. If they have, it's fair game. So I think my caveat is if this leader in question had been pooed upon from a great height by the replacement being bad mouthed about that person as a leader, I could understand somewhat them being a bitter towards it. But in some cases, I think it's un, it's, it's not good for a leader's reputation. There's my ramble. Um, I'm not not. It's just a discussion point, really. Do we have to be careful as a leader to <laughs> of our own reputation post position to be able to secure our future as a potential leader of other businesses? Well, um, first of all, I, I think it's incredibly uncharacteristic of um, the individual that you're referring to in this case uh, to do anything like that. So I'm, I'm slightly kind of concerned uh, that, you know, this might not be as it sounds. It might be one of those things that gets blown out of proportion. I don't know. Yeah, I, wasn't, don't know I, I wasn't there. Um, <clears throat> but I think that actually... Uh, emphasizes the point even more that you know you can you can be misquoted you can be quoted out of context so damn easily uh, about things that you say whilst you're an MD or a CEO of a company let alone when you've left it and you know I think it is wise uh, to play your cards very closely to your chest. The campaign continues uh, well after you've left the business. It's not a good look, even if 
um, what you've said is out of context. Yes. So, uh, you know, I think one has to be incredibly careful about the communication um, around a business. And I, I you know, I, I had a bug to bear uh, about a big corporate organization that I worked for uh, regarding uh, enthusiastically going around telling everyone that the whole purpose of the business was to get a five pound share price. Um, and this <laughs> well, that was a, wasn't that wasn't untrue, was it? <laughs> it no, it's certainly not untrue. And what I feel comfortable about was, um, you know, I felt that it was necessary to help all the people in the business understand. Um, that customers comes first, shareholders come first, the employees come first, the community comes first. You know, they are all firsts uh, in a in a in a in a sustainable business model. You give a shit uh, about everyone who makes it work. Anyone who tells me uh, that it's all about the shareholder, um, I, I and I'm a shareholder in a business, and it's Several. not. Yeah, absolutely. And it's not about it's not about that. I'm actually I'm massively into um, being really careful about my communication about that company. But it, it is a it is a thing that uh, I think a lot of a lot of businesses need to be careful about uh, their reputation during the time that they employ people, helping them to leave really effectively and I, do you know what? I think it just comes down to being honest and open and fair, which are really, really, really good values, um, and keeping that in your in your mind uh, whilst you're in the business and beyond. Hmm. I really like the point you just made there, JB, around actually you're continuing the campaign. Yeah. I think, uh, and, and as JB says, I think we are perfectly at liberty, I think, to, if we've certainly left on the basis of actually, do you know what? I don't like how the business is doing things anymore. I think one thing that I was taught in sales was to, and I'm using the bad language, didn't it's JB, never shit on your competition. Um, and actually, because at some point you may want to work for that competitor. And secondly, if you're going to shit on them, be honest and truthful about it and be objective and not subjective. Yeah. So the example I used to have is I, so I'll use the simple terms. I used to work in advertising and of course in radio, there's lots of different radio stations, newspapers, competing news titles, fierce rivals, directories, yellow pages, Thompson directories, BT in the UK, for example. And we were always taught to actually, this is a real good complementary mix of marketing. Now you knew the loop, you knew that you knew where you could exploit loopholes, but you were being honest about that, you know. So, Thompson directories always used to have their advertisers in size order. The bigger adverts went to the front of the directory before the alphabetical listings. Whereas what Yale used to do is would sell adverts in alphabetical order, regardless. So of course you'd then get the sales rep going, "Well, let's rename you triple 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 A discos." <laughs> um, so, you know, but ultimately Yellow Pages had far more users turning the thumbing the pages, my goodness, this is going back a few decades, than Thompson directories. In radio stations, you know, the listening demographic of Smooth Radio, which is kind of your 50 plus radio station versus Capital, are completely different audiences. So therefore, if a client is advertising on one over another, then actually the conversation needs to be what audience you're looking to really tap into. Is it that clubbing audience or is it that middle-aged, are you selling mahogany furniture? I'm not sure Kiss is the right station for you. It's much better to consider Smooth. 
So I think as, as a, putting that into leadership context, I think you make a really interesting point that the campaign needs to continue, especially if you wish to lead similar people in the future. Because if I was, as JB says, the context is fascinating because we, I don't know this person, I never met them. Um, and by all accounts, I had nothing but previously good before that. The person that gave me that information is also a very good character, completely whiter than white. So if there has been a drunken, flip similar tongue of, well, they're going to be a load of shit, they're going to fail, um, then that can carry big consequences. But at the same time, um, as a leader, um, I think JB talks about life on a stage and has always added the word at work. And I think sometimes we have to remember that um, as a leader, um, depending on our ambitions, we have to think about there not being a huge difference these days between at work and not at work, um, especially if we want to continue that reputation. Um, but, you know, it, it was just a really interesting observation for me yesterday going, oh, wow, okay. Well, the, the, you know, the, 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 these people are typically of good moral standing. Yeah. <laughs> uh, that's disappointing. And I'm quite sad about that. Um, and I was aware of one of the employees of that organization having a huge ego, which you and me both know. Um, and um, uh, yeah, uh, um, but I, I just, I think I, I, I like to take inspiration from Ian Dale's book, which is why can't we all just get along? And um, you and I, JB, have also done tongue in cheek, um, cutting comments of someone that you used to work with much more closely than I did, but he was a supplier of mine. And I know his integrity and honesty is through the floor in terms of scores. Um, and we've always been very careful about those sorts of things. But um, I think the lesson for leaders is here. If you intend, well, the line that I was given once upon a time, and I've told this episode one of our podcast, don't piss too many people off on your way up because you don't know who you're going to need on your way back down. And I suspect if it was legitimate what I reflected to you in that text message exchange, that will harm that person on the way back down more than they realize if they ever want to go into that industry again. And certainly based on what I've read, I would be a little less warm towards them if they wanted to deal with us as an organization. Right. <laughs> Blimey. There's been no mention Ooh, of Ukraine. Or mic. Yeah, there's been no Ukraine or COVID mentioned thus far in the podcast. <laughs> and we're 20 minutes in. Um, would you like a listener question, JB? Throw a listener question at me. I'm ready for one. I say, I say that I'm now feeling nervous. It's probably one of those bizarre ones. No, no, no. It's a relatively, where is it? Sorry. I've been writing lots of notes. Shall I whistle? You can sing or whistle or, um, so we've had this question, similar, similar question before. Um, I'm inheriting a team that have never worked remotely before, but the business is moving from a in office environment to a multinational environment. So again, I'll give you some color behind it, JB. I think what's happening is that they've gone from sales offices to global services, and there is a yeah. manager per global service. So all those people that used to be in the England office that sold all the services will no longer be in that team. They'll now be in a team of global people that sell the same products across the world. Um, so they're a new leader. What advice can you give me in my first 90 days? Well, that's a hell of a lot of change, isn't it? Isn't it? Be because they are, you know, changing the structure of the the business, the teams. Uh, they're also uh, going to depend more on virtual uh, communications, uh, which is another big thing to take on board uh, at one point. I would 
uh, want to have that conversation to start with, which is um, how, how, how are we going to manage this change? Uh, and I'd, I'd, I'd want to get everybody together on one big call, um, a little bit like a, a virtual conference. Uh, and, and actually, rather than talk about the business uh, for, for that session, let's talk about change and how we all cope with it. And uh, what are we going to do about it? How are we going to make this work? Uh, what are we going to do to make it work really successfully? How do we feel actually about moving so much of our, our time into a virtual um, field? How are, we, how are we going to make that work? How are we going to hold each other to account? Um, you know, how, how are we going to going back to that kind of know, knowing each other, focusing each other, valuing each other? I'd want to put that into the agenda. How do we, how do we get to know each other? How do we retain our focus? Um, and how do we value uh, the things that we need to value on an individual one-to-one -one basis, but also as a collective? How are we going to communicate? How are we going to collaborate? How are we going to make this work? So it's a big conversation about the kind of conversations we will have uh, going forward. I want to have that conversation before anything else. So how are we going to manage this change <clears throat> would, would be my starting point. Um, thank you to Tabitha, by the way, that submitted this question. So to echo what JB said, I think there is a huge amount of change happening here. And change breeds uncertainty. And if we don't reduce the comfort levels with uncertainty, it can have a pretty damaging effect pretty quickly. Um, I think to, to add some extra um, thinking to what JB's just touched upon, one of the challenges I think you have, if this team are for the first time going from an in-op, I presume this is post-COVID, so they were, I'm presuming, having some experience of working remotely, even if it was seen as temporary. Um, but... One of the biggest challenges I've seen with teams that are remote for the first time is even without the change of weighing of working, there is a psychological change that some people really struggle with. Uh, I think we've probably read about some people wanting to work in an office and feel like they've got structure. And as you mentioned in your question about international remote teams from an in-office team, I think there is an additional challenge around time zone alignment. So you've gone from being in the office from nine to five for argument's sake with six or seven other people. And now you may only be online with everybody for two hours a day because everyone else is in different time zones to yourself. So there's only probably a two hour window when you can connect with certain people. So I think that psychologically that also gives you a change of your own to deal with, coupled with the fact that feedback and knowing, focusing and valuing those people is going to become so much more prevalent and important as a leader. When you're working with someone in an office, you can look over and give them a little acknowledging smile or that warmth that no longer exists. And I think that our risk is as a boss is that we focus an unshare, unfair share of our attention on the underperformers or the lack of engaged people at the cost of the highly engaged, highly competent people. Now, I feel, I hope at once upon a time when I first became a remote worker, which ironically was well before pandemic, seven, eight years ago now, scarily, 2014. And when I started at this international firm, my boss was in Philadelphia. Um, my counterpart was in Singapore. My other counterpart was in Houston. So I was only online for about three hours a day when they were both online. And even then it was at the extremes of their day. And I was seen as one of the better performers of those three counterparts, plus my wider team 
um, were also US based. So I'd get them online from two till six in the afternoon, my time. Other than that, I was on my own. And one of the biggest struggles I had was that my boss left me alone because I was doing a great job. Whenever I caught up with her, she told me, you're doing a great job. And I really was very fond of this lady. But I became increasingly anxious that she's just saying that <laughs> um, to keep me sweet until she's plotting to get rid of me. Um, and the uncomfortable feeling of, I've sent this off some piece of work to my boss and three days later, she's not even acknowledged it was a huge problem to me because how I, I I'm not, as JB knows, I'm not a big fan of public recognition, but I like to have one-to-ones. And often this boss also said, I've got nothing to cover here because everything's on track. So, you know, we can cancel this one, skip this one. Actually boss, I, I, I would like to have a word with you about a couple of things. And even if I didn't have anything to talk about, I would want that reassurance that there's nothing to talk about. So I think, as JB says, there is a bit of a perfect storm going on here. You've got a situation where the whole team are transitioning from in-office to remote. There's going to be new teams for all of them because they're now going to be going into global services rather than local offices with multiple services. They're losing that in-person element, which for some could be water for ducks back. Others could be struggling. So I think the importance of getting them all together, as JB says, is critical, but very quickly, I think you need to get your good people around the table and talk about the value they're going to add. And if there is going to be a difficulty in you communicating with them frequently, explain that now and give them some sort of code word if they're feeling vulnerable or uncertain due to the lack of communication you're giving them. I think there is a real risk. And you, me and JB talk about the skill matrix and those top, top right people, the high skill, high will people will drift over. They'll stay the same incompetence but their engagement will start drifting over to the low engagement area if we do not keep them motivated. And when they're remote, anxiety can breed lack of engagement because they then start looking at alternative jobs because they're worried they're going to lose this one anyway. <laughs> so I think there is, as JB says, I think no focus value, three big words, uh, very, very quickly with those people. And I also think you can never, never over communicate with remote workers. I think that's a, a, a really good um, final line on that, which is, you know, you, I, I, we, so Ant and I come from a radio background and, you know, uh, repetition builds reputation uh, is kind of what radio does. And, you know, there are times when we would play either a, you know, really tight playlist uh, or uh, we would hear an ad again and again and again you know maybe there are two or three versions of it but we you know and and when people started <laughs> complaining uh about a new slogan um a, an amount of music that was continually being banged out of the radio station my children uh, sing along to that advert yeah um, you know I, that is the point where you go this is working this is working for us this is working for me uh, because that's what you you know you want as long as it's not a complete turn off uh, to a, to a um, you know a, 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 an advertiser's potential customer. Um, but I, I, I've always thought that, and you know where you know people people forget about how to really focus on their messaging, and it's a real art. And it's keep it tight, keep it to two or three things, 
and um, build your campaign, build your campaign virtually or otherwise. And as Ant was speaking, it occurred to me really what word that I think would be most important for you before you get into the business of making this team hum uh, in the context of, of objectives and tasks and, and KPIs and everything. One word that I think is important, that word is trust. Um, you know, it is absolutely critical uh, to work on the, the no-me's, the focus-me's, and the value me's, uh, it is critical to ensure that everyone in that team knows that you care, uh, that you care about them, that you're capable of, uh, you know, great levels of empathy and understanding, that you are always consistent. You you are you are consistent in the way that you turn up on time, that you do what you say you're going to do, that you have high levels of candor. You are you are very very honest, um, and you know that you expect nothing less from your people, um, and above and beyond uh, all of those things is this wrapper of trust. I I would I would put put a put a slide up on one of those virtual comms and just say a high trust team is a high performance team. Discuss. Let's discuss that before we do anything. And then think about caring, being consistent. Your, how do we do honesty? Um, how do we become really capable at what we do? How do we care for each other? How do we know, focus and value each other? All of that stuff, you know, those are little prompts for you um, to, to build that high trust team. And then, as Ant says, let's discuss this. The one thing I like about JB's reference to trust there, actually, is that trust is far harder to build, I think, remotely than in person. Yeah, I agree. Because with that. I suspect there is going to be a limited face-to-face opportunity for your international team you're about to manage moving forwards. And on that basis, they may only see each other face-to-face once, twice a year if they're lucky. And those bonds are brilliant. Don't get me wrong, I have seen some really good trusted relationships built remotely during the pandemic. We hired a couple of people last year who are now best friends. They met up for the first time three weeks ago. Um, they met virtually, they built their relationship virtually, and they went out for lunch because they both happened to be in London for the first time together. Sounds like um, an online date. Absolutely. So then then yeah. became real. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, and and, it, and it's worked. And, and it fortunately has transitioned quite comfortably. It would be interesting to find out if any of your our listeners have had situations where everything was great remote. Now we're back in the office. I can't stand this new joiner. They're, they're awful. <laughs> Don't like their eating habits. Wish they'd go back to doing it behind closed doors in their kitchen. I really like them online. Go back online. <laughs> yeah. What A funny little anecdote for you, actually, is one of the things, of course, you don't realise when you're working remotely is, is people's heights. So, um, JB, I don't know if you know this, but my team, most of them hadn't met you until um, a few weeks ago where we met up. And I think the first time most of them saw you was in a restaurant called Heron on the Lake in the Fleet. That's it. And I'd said to them before, they said, oh, you know, yeah. So I said, what do you think he's going to look like then? So said, well, guess what he's like on camera? I said, okay, so, you know, how tall? Oh, I don't know. He's probably quite short, isn't he? Probably shorter than you, man. Five, eight, five, nine. <laughs> now, for those of you that don't know, JB is six foot three. Six yeah. three. So um, I'm I'm six dead. So he's a good three inches taller than me. Maybe I'm a tiny bit over six if I'm if I'm uh, wearing heels. Um, so people didn't expect JB to be as tall 
or indeed is just large. Don't get me wrong, he's not overweight, but just you're a big unit, aren't you, Mr. Bradley? I, well, that's very, I, I, I'm going to take that as a compliment, Anthony. Yeah, very much so, very yeah. much so. Um, but anyway, Tabitha, um, so I, I think I think to summarise... <laughs> building... we get into how large I am? <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, hi, Tabitha, nice to meet you. Um, so look, um, building trust, critical, as quickly as possible, it's going to take a lot more effort than it would do if it was face-to-face, number one. Um, as JB says, no focus value. Um, number three, um, I think don't underestimate the importance of those high performers. Engage with them quickly. Make them feel that they are trusted. As in the trust is two-way. You trust them and actually give them as many empowerment options and do not cancel one-to-ones for the first few months. Never. That'd Never, ever, ever cancel a one-to-one. And, and and as Ant said, you know, communicate, communicate, communicate. Do not stop communicating and have no focus value in your mind all the time when you're talking to these people. Um, you know, what do I need to know that I don't know already? Um, really should be such a big question, particularly in the virtual world. Yeah, definitely. Um, I hope that's useful. Uh, of course, if you've got a listener question, do submit it to GLP or GLP at Seedle.com or Global Leadership Podcast at gmail.com. Mr. Bradley it's now about rights to rewarm up your, yeah. your triple focusy thing thingamajiggy. Well, funny enough, I think we've done a little bit of a warm up towards it. I think we've done the if you, if you imagine the triangle um, of of leader at the top, uh, coach at the right, and a manager on the left, being all the parts that you play when you walk onto your imaginary stage at work right in the middle of that triangle is a thing called trust. So, you know, we have to work on that really, really hard. Ant and I have just given you a few of the ingredients that we like to work with, uh, with our clients. And then we stretch it out into the persona uh, of the coach uh, as our starting point. Um, and the coach is, is basically, um, you know, following the interest of uh, the people. It's a, it's a following job. Uh, and the idea is to stimulate and inspire others to think uh, as a coach uh, by asking extraordinarily good questions. And my lifelong experience of questions and questioning tells me that the best questions on the planet begin with what and how. And I'm happy to stand up at a conference and have a debate with someone as to why those two questions are better than why any day of the week. So um, you've got your coach, okay? So if you're going to be a really good leader, you're probably thinking, well, I'm a leader, not a coach. Well, I don't think you're going to be a particularly good leader if you're not able to facilitate uh, the thinking and learning of your people. I think it's absolutely such a critical job for you to do. Uh, So remember, um, you know, one of the key roles of a leader is to coach, stroke mentor over that side. That's that's the developmental area that you need to be as a leader. Don't hide in your office. Don't disappear. Be available. Get involved. Ask really good questions. Follow the interest of your people as much as you possibly can. Number two is the leader, and uh, I think we've probably explained quite a lot about that in previous podcasts and also touched on it today. Never, ever stop communicating. 
uh, make it clear, make it concise, use metaphors, uh, get people to the fastest flowing bit of the river, build a rocket within a decade and put people on the moon, get them to the other side of the river, to um, the dot on the horizon, whatever it has is, then explain it. And put it through your own internal creative agency. And if you don't feel particularly creative or inspiring, have a chat with other people to find out what makes you inspiring to them and where the gaps might be and what you could do to be authentic and true to yourself on your imaginary stage at work. Um, so this is where Ant and I like the word campaign probably because we are radio anoraks, uh, campaigns really take an awful lot of effort and you've got that creative element that can cut through so damn fast. The creative element is what inspires people to buy stuff and do stuff differently than what they normally do. Um, so put it through that creative agency, find that agency and put put your imaginary people in it, your friends, your mum, your dad, your colleagues, who are that creative. And you can take messages and words and turn them into magnificent campaigns and don't stop communicating the campaign. Uh, to me, that is a, such a fundamental, important role of the leader is to inspire people to follow. It is the opposite of coaching. Coaching is following interest of others, Leading uh, is leading people towards the imaginary dot on the horizon and getting them involved in working out what that dot is. Um, the, the manager part of the triangle in being a great leader, these are the three roles. We've done two of them. We're on the final leg now, uh, the final leg of the triple, triple legged stool. Is that right? The triple? Yeah, yeah that'll do. Oh, that'll do. <clears throat> um, this is where, as a, as a manager, you're turning up you are being ever so consistent. Um, you, you, get, you get the outcome. You know what is required to row this boat to the fastest bit of the river. You, you get what it takes to build this rocket um, within a decade to stick a man on the moon. We know that happened, unless you're a conspiracy theorist and you think it never did. And it all happened in a back room in some TV station. <laughs> well, um, so um, as as turning up as that manager, you are you are absolutely clear about outcomes, and you get everyone else involved in seeing the outcome, getting involved with the outcome, setting some glorious uh, objectives and tasks to get there. Just talking freely and getting people involved in who needs to participate, when and how, and always, always, always conscious of time, um, making sure things are delivered on time to customers, to shareholders, to other teams, to uh, anybody who needs things to deadline. Don't underdeliver on time. And if you combine all of those three things in your world, you will you will become a great leader uh, without a shadow of a doubt. But don't be weighted too heavily to one of those areas at the expense of the others. It is a balance, my friends. It is a balance between the three with a great level of trust in the middle because a high-performing team is a high-trust team. Like it. I, I, I think um, one thing that is 
often missing from a newly graduated people manager is this inability to communicate. They become so focused on their legacy knowledge to carry them through as a people leader that they actually forget that managing people is an entirely different role. And I think that's where often so many managers, myself included, when I first started out on this road trip of being a leader of people, went wrong. I thought, actually, surely to be successful, all I need to do is just talk from my experience and just give them the benefit of my wisdom. And that will get me through. The problem is, is that your audience, your direct reports become more and more reliant upon you for all of your thinking to, to therefore qualify their thinking. And if we don't empower their thinking by telling them what they need to think, guess what? They don't think anymore. So I think there is, I think, my goodness, how many times can I say the word think if there's a transcript going on in thinking? Um, I think communication um, and the balance of communication is so important as a people manager. And that communication should not just be about the subject matter of what your team are, watching, or are operating. Sometimes the best leaders learn how to be leaders by not managing a team of people that you understand. I know that sounds a bit crazy, but is it sensible that a if you are there to really drive the performance of your team, is it always critical that they have to be the smartest person in the room? I'm not sure. The best sales leaders often were never the best sales people. The best CFOs weren't always necessarily the best person that was good at bookkeeping. Think about the competencies required and recognize that 70% of a people manager's role is not about being the smartest person in the room. It is actually about the, the balance of, as JB says, management responsibilities, leadership responsibilities, and communication stroke coaching responsibilities that's going to make you what JB likes to call, I presume, is a game-changing leader. Oh, absolutely. Um, um, 100%. That's why I couldn't raise that with the guy in the pub yesterday. Because it's quite a big deal, isn't it? There's quite it a lot is. of information there. Which he'd said after, I guess, a few pints of Guinness celebrating St. Patrick's Day and whatnot. Well, he might have said, I wish I'd never asked. Um, so <laughs> I, I, I chose, I, 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 hopefully he will, and, and knowing him, he probably will listen into this podcast and uh, give us some feedback and then probably ask another blinder of a question. You never know. Nice. Uh, well, ladies and gents, that's about it for our podcast this week. Um, so if you have any listener questions for next week's episode, feel free to stick it into an email. Unless JB, there's nothing else you wanted to cover, is there, on the subject? Um, only... I just wanted to share something in the, oh, in, the, in the small moment that I had in the sunshine in the garden before the cloud came over. Hmm. Um, as I mentioned earlier, I was reading this book called Seven and a Half Lessons About the Brain. It's a hmm. really marvellous. I don't have shares in it. Honestly, I don't. Um, but it's written by this wonderful person called Lisa Feldman Barrett. And I, I want you to. It's <laughs> the point where you get my book out. Um there's a, there's a line in the book that appears occasionally, and it's it's all about plasticity. And when I say plasticity, and does that what 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 comes springs to mind when I say the word plasticity? Um, pullable, malleable, shapeable. Perfect. Absolutely, one hundred percent. So uh, uh, when you when you think about that in terms of the brain's plasticity. Um, it is say that down the pub on a Sunday afternoon. Well, exactly. You see, um, and. This is, this is what we need to keep working on. All our lives, we need to make sure that we, we, we 
train our brains to be to have a, a higher and higher levels of plasticity. And she uses this lovely um, set of words about pruning and tuning uh, the brain's neurons, which in the brain context, that's about plasticity in the brain. Right. Um, and so we we need to um, keep thinking about what do we what do we need to tune in our brains to make us more effective in our work. Um, and this is why we I go back to that kind of leader being able to coach and facilitate thinking this is this is building plasticity in the individuals and the team um and actually the things that you don't need the brain is so well equipped um at pruning the things that you never use so yeah that's where you fine tune your high performance team um and if you got trust right in the leader they, they, they will, they will let you um, help you to develop your brain and build your plasticity and to prune it and tune it to perfection. But it won't happen unless you tr trust your leader really, really well. And that I just wanted to share as my final little nugget. What a nugget it is! Anything nice planned, <laughs> Mr. Bradley, for the next uh, few days, Ooh. personally? Um, oh, well, likewise, of course. Yes, um, there's uh, a couple of coaching sessions uh, coming up this week. Um, I've got a little pitch going out on Thursday, uh, which is quite fun. Um, and I, I've got some quite serious reading to do. I've, I've got my own next um, program that I'm developing, which probably will be book number two. To be fair, Ooh, yeah, no, it's nice. coming. It's coming through. It's the old neurons um, are getting very plasticky. That's probably like not quite right. Yeah. Anyway, so that yeah, quite a busy week. What about you, Ant? Uh, crazy busy. Yeah, day job is is occupying the the free thinking that I would have ordinarily. So yeah, that and um, I think next week we've got my uncle and auntie coming to stay for a few days. So that'll be exciting. So I think oh, when, nice. when you and me next talk, it, there will be final preparations for their royal arrival. Lovely. Well, let me know if I can help in any way. Well, maybe. Um, yeah, anyway, hoping with the weather good tomorrow, especially 17 in the UK tomorrow, we're having an outdoor t management meeting tomorrow at my house. So. Oh, nice. Roof well, terrace. You, on the app, uh, you're doing it outside? Yeah, yeah, we've got, I've got roof terrace at the house, which you haven't seen because you've only been in the house in the winter and dark. But no, it's out onto the terrace. Yeah, yeah. So the the roof terrace and the sunshine will be uh, very nice tomorrow. Hopefully, well, and hopefully you'll get you won't get any clouds. No, it's true. And you and I obviously are working on another big big piece of work, so um, that will be uh, uh, no doubt part of the 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 time as well. Anyway, um, but uh, I've been Anthony Price, and I've been JB, and I'm going to go and prune my brain now. Um, goodbye. Goodbye.